This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Tamper Tantrum. I am Colin Harmon, broadcasting live from my living room in Dublin. I'm joined, as always, by the yummy brummy, Mr. Stephen Layton. Yummy brummy, I could live with that. That's it's nice, isn't I've been it? called a lot, lot worse, you know. I was thinking that all the morning, and then I was like, "What do I call him?" And then I was like, "Yummy, brummy." Although I've kind of, thank you. I've kind of undermined it all by it. I should have pretended it was just an off the cuff thing. Yeah, well, nobody, everybody knows you're not very spontaneous, so it's okay. Do you want to know what the next best option was? Go on. The staffer from Stafford. Definitely not, went for the better option. I did. I it's, it's, not, yeah, it's not even remotely good, is it? No. Do you want to know an interesting fact about the number 59? Go on. Satchel Page became the oldest Major League Baseball player at the age of 59. Well. See, so there's hope for you and your baseball career yet. There, def- there definitely is. I'm still unbeaten. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 um... I announced my official retirement from uh, international football last night. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, poor thing. I've decided I'm never playing for England again since Sam's taken over. Uh, <laughs> are you Are you happy or sad about Sam Allardyce taking over as England manager? I'm I'm really sad. It's the first time in about eight years we've had a decent manager, and then he leaves us. We it just save us sacking him in ten games time though, so that's kind of good. So who's going to come on instead of? Uh, the favourite is uh, Hodgson or um, what's his name? He used to be Everton <laughs> manager and Man United manager. Um, David Moyes. David Moyes. You know, you should go for. Did they sack the Everton manager? They did sack the Everton manager. What's his name? Martinez. He'd be Martinez has said that he's very, very interested in the job, but I don't think anybody's very, very interested in giving him a job. Really? So, oh, he, was, he killed Everton. You see what he did to them? Yeah. How do you think this is going down with our US listeners who have no idea what soccer is? Uh, A-OK. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did talk about baseball to start off with, so we, we've covered you know, both continents. We did. All two of the continents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about Eastern Europe? Should we cover those two? <laughs> That's part of America, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, what's your week been like? You're just back from Rwanda, aren't you? I am. I am. I um. I got back from Rwanda on Sunday, um, a little earlier than I expected. Um, I was sitting in an Indian restaurant in Rwanda because that's the kind of international guy I am. Yeah. Uh, on, on Friday <laughs> night, and I was coming home on Saturday evening, and I just got a text saying, "Have you seen what's happened in uh, Istanbul?" I was like, "No." So we turned on the TV, and there's a a major coup going on in Istanbul. The exact connecting airport that I'm going through in less than 24 hours' time. Wow. Um, so I scootled back to the uh, hotel and cancelled my Turkish Airlines flight and ended up having to sit in Doha for nine hours. Um, interesting facts about Doha Airport. Go when on. you've got eight hours there, um, there's not a lot to do. Um, there isn't. Uh, but there's lots of Pokemon everywhere. <laughs> All sorts of poker stops, and there were gyms that I could train my Pokemon in, and this killed several hours. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, Rwanda was fun. Um, it's the other, it's only the second time I've been. Last time was two thousand and eight, 
for the first ever Cup of Excellence out there. More um, potatoes than Ireland. The what, sorry? I said more potatoes than Ireland. More potatoes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Lots of them in cups. I actually, that, you know, the whole trip, I only found two potato cups out of, I don't know, we must have cooked hundreds. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, and something that they, they were saying they'd noticed that the potato had been in decline this year, which is a, a good thing. Wow. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, the country has changed so much in seven, like seven, eight years. It's unbelievable. Um, Kigali, the capital, is one of the cleanest cities I've ever been in. Not even just Africa, one of the cleanest cities I've ever been in. Um, it's super well organised and run. There's a lot of traffic, as there is in every capital city. But um, absolutely amazing. The investment and infrastructure that's been put in. Like Some of the best roads I've travelled on in coffee-growing regions. Like Just absolutely super, super country. And a coffee industry that is super keen on trying to improve quality, um, trying to make itself better, knows it's not a, the best it can be yet and, and wants to continue to learn and develop. Um, uh, I, I think that was really exciting. Um, it was also the 10th birthday of Rawashko, which is one of the biggest exporters um, in, um, in Rwanda. And uh, Tim Schilling, who is from Coffee, uh, World Coffee Research now, mm -hmm. originally from the SPREAD project uh, that was set up in Rwanda to build lots of washing stations and um, uh, it spread and then it became something else afterwards. I can't remember the other name, but um, he is like a super famous like coffee god. Like this guy, everything he's doing, he's turning to, to gold dust. He's like... What he did with Rwanda, now he's doing stuff with World Coffee Research, which is just pushing the envelope. And, and he gave a really rousing speech about Rwandan coffee at this Rwashko um, party, where he was saying that, like, you know, in 10 years, you guys have gone from nothing in the specialty market to, to being a player. And just imagine what the next 10 years can do. Um, and and it, was, it was just one of those things where you just came away kind of excited for Rwandan coffee just because... One guy said some really nice words. It seemed like from my Instagram feed that there were a lot of coffee people in Instagram or in Instagram in uh, Rwanda that week. Yes, yeah, I think a lot of people had gone for the Rawashko party, um, but I think also uh, it's the kind of time of year you know it's coming towards the end of the harvest. There's lots of things to cup. Um, you know, it's it's a typical time to go on a buying trip. So. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was super fun. Um, very pleased I went. Um, didn't really find any coffee while I was there. Like, I, I don't think I scored anything. I, in fact, I did score a couple under, 70, under 79, which were, they were not good. But like, really? everything seemed to be fairly solid, like 84s to 86s. It was, um, yeah, it was good, but there was nothing that I just went, oh my God, I need to buy that coffee right now. So I'm hoping the cupping table here will, uh, will find some some gems that have uh, already, you know, kind of, I'd missed and were, were coming through, but yeah, it was good fun, really enjoyed it, I had lots of fun out there, um, and I hope to go back again soon. Yeah, definitely, no, it's good to have a, I'm a big fan of Rwanda coffee, I get scared off by the potato stuff, obviously, but it's, um, yeah, I think I, it's, it's, you've had, you've had Rwandan coffee in 3FE, haven't you? 
Yeah, yeah, no, we've had not that many, to be honest with you. Um, how, how do you deal with that potato when it happens? Then I, I'm, I'm kind of, I know everybody has a slightly different approach to it. I'm always interested to hear on, like, <clears throat> how you deal with it when it happens, because you can tell when you grind and you just go, oh. But sometimes I guess occasional cups go through, and like, what do you do? Well, like, I think like generally they don't go through because if you grind it you smell it straight away like i remember for a long time and there's probably people listening to this that are like oh i've never smelled or i've never like experienced potato defect and if it happens will i know like don't worry if it happens you definitely definitely know like it's i used to worry that maybe it had occurred and i hadn't copped on you know what i mean but um it, when you grind coffee that has potato defect it's it's so obvious like you can just smell it all over the place um so that's not really an issue. Like we've had, we had one coffee in the past where I can't remember which one it was, but I remember like, I think at the time we were still using coffee roasted from you. And I think you had like 20 bags of something. And it was like the last two bags were just full of defect. Whereas the first 18, we hadn't got a thing. So we had to bin some of that stuff. But aside from that, like it's not really an issue because you never really serve it. Now, the only thing is that like, it's a tricky thing with wholesale customers because I think we don't really, like if you're roasting for yourself and you have an issue with coffee, like you learn to be, how do I phrase this? You kind of just get on with it. You know, like if there's a small issue, you try to, you know, brew differently or stretch it out or whatever. Whereas like if you're buying coffee from a wholesaler, it's, it's a little easier just to make a phone call and say, take this back. You know what I mean? Um, so with wholesale customers, they, if they find one, if they call us and say, there's this really weird smell. And usually they say, it smells like potato. And you're like, yeah, that's a potato defect. They'll just be like, yeah, take it all back. And you're like, okay, which is, I can understand. And I never argue with, uh, but what we usually do is just bring it to the shop and we'll use it. And sometimes we never experience it in the 20 kilos or so that we've taken back. So it's a strange thing to do, you know? Just rewinding to that, saying about the last couple of bags, uh, we actually had a drunken discussion about this in a bar one night about how that seems to happen. And that is not alone. Like everybody I spoke to has had an instance and an occasion of that. But there is actually no valid reason why that should be. And we couldn't work out why that was it, whether it was uh, potato became more apparent with aging or because I've had super fresh crop, like we were cupping stuff that had been picked, you know, a few weeks ago and we were finding we found a couple of potato cups in there but that weird thing with when you're coming towards the end of the the, the end of the bags all of a sudden you start finding it and i don't know whether it's just i don't well, i don't know what it is i have no idea at all um but it's a there really must be because that's happened a few times and i wonder is there a link between degradation and like like just the aging of the coffee and the potato appearing like maybe if there was like if it becomes more apparent as it ages, that'd be interesting. My my favourite potato story was I was uh, I was MC in UKBC, and you've got a lot of potato stories. Yeah, <laughs> we've all got our favourites. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, my I know I do. Was I was MC in UKBC, um, and um, you know, you, you, as you say, when you grind it, you just you know it, you can smell it, and and like literally ground it and smell it, and I was just like, I was on the side, just going, please don't serve that. Please don't oh. serve that. And I watched them serve it, and I'm just like, oh. Now, I don't know whether just like they were so in the middle of the competition. No, like, Steve, no, Steve, listen, okay. It's this is how the professional barista handles that situation, okay? So you grind your coffee, 
huge whack of a potato off it, right? What you do is you extract the coffee, you bring it to the table, and you go, this coffee has notes of potato. <laughs> Sixes all around. <laughs> That's what you need to do. Or what you do is, I'm just, I've just prepared these for my signature drink. These are potato defect. I'll be back with you in a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So where yeah. do you, you, I, I often wonder this when I see you wandering around and you're like wandering around. I make it sound like you're fucking lost when you're traveling. Um, and uh, when you get deported and because you got in my mug and then you obviously have tamper tantrum and then you have, what's the beer one you do called again? Steve and Roland's Beer Podcast, S-A-R-B-P.com. Yeah. And what is that podcast about? Um, it's about me and Roland and beer. Okay. It, there's a clue in the title, Steve and Roland's Beer Podcast. It was kind oh, of right. like, we didn't want any ambiguity with what we were doing. Okay, um, that, that clears it up. Yeah. Um, so, like, how do you manage to keep all your podcasts and videocasts going? Um, I... It's weird. It's like a, a lot of planning. So before I went, I recorded one at a at a coffee shop in uh, Stoke Newington in London, Estes. Um, so I went down the week before I went to Rwanda and recorded that. So I got one ready to go. Um, Tampa tantrum, like we, me and you normally organised it, and the Roland one, we just kind of cram them in where we can, and um, and I try and upload them before I go, but schedule them. But it is a a, a real. Like yeah, logistically a nightmare. Um, yeah, the, the the podcast thing is kind of like I don't know I, why I need three podcasts. I'm not sure. Um, I think <laughs> like you know the world needs to hear my voice and my thoughts. Um, but now I kind of I, I really enjoy doing them as well. I guess it's kind of like it's built up a uh, a fun following in different sectors as well. So like Tampa Tantrum, obviously you guys listening here now are industry folks that we want to reach out to and talk to and, you know, we'll have some some interest in coffee. Um, whereas like the In My Mug one is very much aimed at consumer and like somebody brand new to coffee, kind of giving them a, like this taste of stuff, look, you should taste it too. Um, and then the beer one, the beer one has just been a, it was. It started off that like Roland's not very good in social situations. Um, in fact, he's not very good when you take him outside of the roastery. Like, I, yeah, I <laughs> hide him. And stuff. But uh, uh, like uh, when he first joined, he, I would say he was quite quiet. I wish he was quiet now. Um, <laughs> but it was like a way of me and him once a week getting together and just like talking about something that wasn't coffee, but also kind of giving us you know another interest. And it's bizarre, like the, the amount of things that have come from it. Um, this weekend, we're doing a Birmingham beer, Birmingham beer bash. Um, me and Roland doing uh, fringe workshop groups on coffee and coffee beers. Really? Um, and we're doing a tasting and we're doing a pairing with coffees with the coffee beers as well and stuff. Um, and like loads of the brewers now know us and talk to us and kind of like, it's really, really bizarre. And, and that podcast has gone from nothing like we never talk about it, we never shout about it, and we get a few hundred people a week listening to it, which is know, really it's not, yeah, yeah. It's about downloads about two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty a week, which is not lots. It's probably the smallest of all the podcasts I do, but it's kind of fun. It's kind of good, so I like it. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and of course you've got your own podcast as well, which I saw there was a new episode come out while I was in Rwanda. Yeah, I I had a few technical issues in that. It's fucking hard though. Like, because yeah. it's, and the, the difficult thing is, I think for me is that, like this morning I was, 
I had to re uh, I had to re uh, schedule uh, a cleaner to come at a different time so that I can do this because I forgot that she was coming and then if I have I can't do it at the office because it's just a nightmare. So finding a space to record is is difficult. So I, I do Munch and Gargle, which is a food and drink podcast, and then I, ha- I had a, a studio there, but it's quite expensive. And then because it's not like a huge income for them, they kind of like sometimes take a bit long with the recordings and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I enjoy doing it, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It takes up a lot a lot more time than, than you think. Like I'm, the Tamper Tantrum is fun. It's easy to do. We're kind of on a roll with it. So, and then it's obviously great having Jen and Dale and Nick Cho and people like that. We, we can, that can drop in and out, you know? <laughs> I, I, um, I really like your one with Trev, um, uh, from Body Tonic. Uh, that you did. I think that was the last one that came out, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. But that was the last one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Which is funny. I I asked Trev how he was, and he talked for an hour, so that was kind of fun. Yeah. No, I think the thing is with Trev, if you ever meet him, and obviously we we used to rent the space for the first three FE from Trev in the Twisted Pepper, um, and you talk to him, and if you don't go into any depth with him, you just think, oh yeah, he's a good guy, you know, like. But you don't. That 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 munch and gog kind of made me realise that he was kind of like actually. He's, he's a smart business guy and he's a super smart business guy oh he's um, all over it he's definitely yeah. all over it yeah and but you have like a you have a, like a whole recording studio at the husband though eh? yes yes I'm, I'm currently sitting in my uh, brand new set for in my mug at the minute um which has it's got i've come in here because it's got like we've had foam fitted to the ceiling so it actually bounces the sound and softens the sound a little bit um but yeah, like episode 400, we decided it was time to do a bit of a rebrand and a rejig with it. Because when you do 400 episodes, it's kind of doing the same thing. It's kind of like, I'm bored of this now, so I'm sure you are. Um, and it's every week. Every week. Every week since 2008, bar one week when I was with you in Atlanta. And you didn't and do one that week? That's the only time I've missed doing it. And that was, the, that was when we recorded the first ever Tampa Tantrum. Well. So... Yeah, go figure. Like it, it was a, uh, I, I couldn't do two a week then, and now I can do three. That's uh, insane. Yeah, but four hundred, it's it's mental. I mean, the, the library. If you go back and kind of think, each one's around about fifteen minutes long, fifteen to twenty minutes long. Four hundred. That's a lot of Steve Layton going. Hello, everybody, and welcome to in my book. Mo- <laughs> <laughs> the first one is so crazy different. Sometimes I just go and find it, and I'm like, wow, look at that. I hate it. I was so drunk when I recorded the first one because I was so nervous. <laughs> like the only way I could record it was getting drunk. Um, yeah, yeah, it was not good. I was slurring my words and all sorts. It was, uh, yeah. Well, and now I'm just drunk all the time, so it's okay. Yeah, that's how you do it. Indeed, indeed. Um, you've been away, haven't you? Well, I went to Galway, which is actually like I'm. Um, so I remember when I was a kid, so when I was about 12, no, how old was I? Yeah, about 12. Uh, we moved to Dublin because my father was involved in building a motorway, which is a highway for those people that are in the States. Or a freeway. And, oh, yeah. And then the, but at the time, it was Ireland's first motorway. Okay. So we, we didn't have any motorways. So, and I remember even like up until I was like how 90. Old are you? 34 are you sure yeah sounds like you're about 64 no seriously like there just weren't any motorways and then the it uh, <laughs> it sounds crazy and I, even when i was 19 i remember going to um to galway which is on the west coast 
and it taking like it was a Friday there's bad traffic but like it took like five hours and on Sunday evening I was like you know what I'm gonna go I was going to an event on the Monday morning so I said I'll just drive tonight so then I can get a good night rest and you know when you're you're you've got to get up early the next morning you always wake up because you're afraid you've missed your flight or you've slept in mm-hmm. so, so I'll just go tonight and I'll sleep over uh, so I drove to Galway in like an hour and 50 minutes and it's just, it's amazing. It's just so close. So uh, Galway this week hosted AFRU, which is A-T-H-R-U, which is the Irish word for growth. And it was a conference organised by Hilary O'Hagan, who is the chef at 3FE, and uh, Jessica Murphy, who runs Kai in Galway, and a few other women. And they, it was all about empowering women in the kitchen and like in commercial kitchens, like women chefs and women cooks and... Yeah, it was a really good event. It kind of felt a bit like the first ever Tamper Tantrum. There was a hundred or so women there. It was Monday and Tuesday. I only could go Monday. But I was the first speaker. I was the keynote speaker, first up Monday morning to a room of like a hundred women and three guys. And I have never been so nervous in my life. <laughs> what was the presentation of? Mansplaining. Was no, it wasn't. <laughs> it just the word mansplaining kept popping into my head every time I talked. I was a bit nervous about it, but <laughs> I did. Um, my the presentation was about. Uh, it was entitled uh, "Creating an Inclusive Work Environment." So, yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's a lot of. I think we have like a big obviously women in coffee uh, movement as well, but a lot of what I think and even a lot about what I spoke about that week has either come directly from or has been influenced from. That podcast that we did with Nick Cho. Yeah. I think that changed a lot of the way I think about those things in coffee. And like the crucial thing is, uh, I probably am paraphrasing Nick, even though I think these are my thoughts. Um, but like, is that when you when you talk about sexism in an industry, whether it's coffee or whether it's kitchens or whatever, like people's first reaction is to say, well, I'm not sexist. And you're like, and that's not really the point because we we all in a way we all are because there's there's just different degrees of sexism. So it's not I don't think the like the belligerent kind of absolutely blatant sexism of like like when was the last time you heard somebody say well I don't think she'd be capable of doing that job because she's a woman, like those sort of people still exist. But I think society is squeezing them out. And I think if they are there, then they're not going to flourish in our society today. Yeah. Um, but it's the sort of sexism that's really passive that you and I are guilty of all the time that we never really think of. That it's just, we do things a certain way and it, it's because it's always been done that way. And then when it's pointed out to us, we're like, oh yeah, maybe. Like Robin that works in our shop gave a really good, really good example. So she's the manager at the shop and delivery drivers uh, will constantly walk past her and get a guy to sign the delivery docket. Mm-hmm. And it's, they just would presume that the guy is in charge, you know? And it's is small that just things. Because Robin's working really hard and they can't get her attention. She's <laughs> it's probably that machine. as well, yeah. But it's like I think it's a really good example, you know. And it's a lot of the sexism that exists in our industry is the sort of stuff that, like, it's probably hard for women to kind of go, like, it's not the sort of thing Robin would storm upstairs and like complain about. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it must affect her confidence. Must affect the way she does her job. And there's lots of examples that were given all week in in. Um, like uh, Holly that works in our kitchen yesterday, we had a discussion about it at the staff meeting. And she was saying that, so in Ireland, 14% of chefs are women. Okay, so 14%. And that's that's a, a number that's grown. Okay, so it, it was a lot smaller. And she was saying that, like, so if a barista comes to work or if I go to work in the office, whatever, I don't need to change when I get to work. Okay, but chefs do. 
All right, chefs need to, and they can't put on clothes over their clothes because they'll just get too hot because kitchens are warm anyway. And she was saying that, like, there's no changing facilities. You know, the, she could go upstairs to the bathroom and get changed in the bathroom, but it's not like there's no dressing room for her to get changed in. And she can't get changed in the kitchen because the guys are there. But, like, it's easier. like that, And that's the sort of system that is, um, one of the women that spoke at the event said that 1% of the kitchens in the UK have a changing room. Nice. And, and that is one of the things that is like spat out the far end when you have a system and a construct that's almost entirely um, owned and controlled by men. And it's not an aggressive thing. It's not as if a load of men sat down and said, hey, why don't we have no dressing rooms to make the women feel uncomfortable? You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not, it's not a, a, an active thing. It's a very passive thing that if you point out to someone, they go, oh yeah. So I was like, do you want us to build you a dressing room? And she's like, could we? I'm like, yeah, it's no problem at all. And it's, it's that sort of thing that you just never think about, but I'm completely guilty of being sexist in that situation. I, so I, I get into trouble. I'm, I'm, what, I, I'm really scared that we've gone down this avenue because I keep getting into trouble with Jen whenever I talk about kind of this, this stuff. But I read an article recently that I, I found super interesting about kind of uh, feminism and the feminism cause and kind of you know how feminism kind of goes to the next stage because I think there's there's so much work being done and I'm not talking about coffee I'm talking about in general uh, for equality like I think if we look at where we were ten years ago twenty years ago thirty years ago it'd be race gender sexual orientation religion we are more tolerant in lots of ways of uh, 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 and and are more open to equality. I, I I think that's like your your thing about people being squeezed out of society is very much a thing, isn't it? You know that it's not cool to say that stuff. But this article I was reading was talking about um, men in feminism and how men in feminism fighting a feminist cause is almost making the equality thing worse and talking about you know oh well you poor women can't do this so we're going to do it for you kind of thing um and i found it really interesting because like i of course want to want to make you know i want it to be equal of course we all do because we're all decent human beings that understand that you know judging somebody because of the their, their, their sex is a terrible terrible thing but i'm not sure what i should do like after reading this article, I was really confused in this whole kind of and I, and this is really isn't a coffee podcast feature and maybe I should just talk to you about it privately, but <laughs> I have a real problem with like what what I should do and what I shouldn't do, where I should take it, wh- wh- what is the line of what I can do, um, you know, do I just act in a way that is equal and fair? So like you know here at Asbin we have uh, we we have a, 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 a fairly equal proportion of men and women working in. If you do the same job, you get the same money. That's just a given, you know. Um, uh, and what else do I do? I don't. I don't know. I don't know whether I should actively be saying, you know, feminism is a fantastic thing. We should be doing this, banging the table, and talking about it at every opportunity, or whether I should just like be quiet and take women's lead on what they're doing and take their their advice on where to go. I find it really confusing and really difficult. Maybe no, no, it's difficult. I think because there is a, in a lot of issues like this where you have not minorities, but let's say marginalized groups, so people that are not necessarily um, been given the power that they deserve. They have there's there's kind of there's two voices. One of them is like shut up and listen, and then the other one is you need to speak up. And I think it was Trish Rothgard that said that recently on Facebook. 
And it kind of made me think because uh, like that's how I felt going to this event. It's like, well, I'm not really qualified to speak at this, but they were like, well, you create a work environment that makes that helps women flourish. So it's a relevant thing to say. And I'm like, oh, that makes me feel better. And then I'm like, but I would talk to people and say, I'm speaking at this women's event. And they'd kind of look me up and down and be like, but you're not a woman. So I don't know. I think that's a, that's a very real issue. I'm not sure I have the answer though. No, no I, I, I struggle with it a lot because I obviously want to do everything that I can and everything that I should do to, to make you know equality, not just in the workplace, but in general, a, a, a thing. But I also don't want to overstep what I should do, you know, because I don't know. It's not me yeah. that's been affected by me. It's not my issues. I think it's my job to sit there and listen. And I think it's my job if I can do something I should. But I'm very reluctant to get on the, you know, empower women bandwagon because I can't, I, I, I'm not a woman. And I, and I just think it can be, it, it could, some people could go, that's brilliant, Steve, you're doing a great job there. And other people could go, that's incredibly condescending, Steve, stop doing that. So Yeah, well, if I've learned anything in the last few years, it's that no matter what you do, you're going to get criticised. So <laughs> you kind of have to follow your gut in it. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of criticism, um, the, 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 the aggressive surrender of the SEAE isn't going as well as we'd hoped. <laughs> it's, it, it's the first aggressive takeover where the hostile takeover doesn't really want us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, and you are welcome. Um, you are welcome, Europe, for the SEAE not wanting to be part of the SEAE because of the Brexit. Um, because my fellow uh, Great Britainers decided that they didn't want to belong to a, the European Union. That seems to be one of the major factors in that this vote looks like it's going to go right to the wire. I mean, it looks so close. Um, when is the vote? Uh, it was delayed a little bit because of the Brexit, but I think it's in the next week or two that the result comes out. And, and murmurings and rumours I've heard from SCAA type people is that... It's not looking... It certainly won't be the runaway victory that the uh, the SCAE one was. I mean, the SCAE one, as far as I'm aware, was around about 95% uh, to vote to, to join together and unify. Um, the SCAA one will not have nowhere near that mandate. And then with a weak mandate, it does make you wonder how... Even if they scrape across with 51 52%, is that a strong enough mandate to break down an organisation and form it into a big one i don't know yeah it's a weird one like what would okay what would happen all right if the SCAA says if the SEAA says no then um we can't unify that's it i know but like so SCAA and SEAE are both growing entities okay yeah so they're both becoming more financially successful they're both stretching arms into other countries and other territories. Uh, and so if this merger doesn't happen, then, and this is, this is kind of comes back to what I was saying the other week as well, is that it gets to the stage where you have two bodies with essentially the same brief. And it's not as if like, I don't know, they're just going to be competing in all these similar fields, which is the most ridiculous thing. Well, I think that's what happens is you actually create an aggressive competitor at that point. I think if SCAA decides not to unify, I think that gives SCAE and SCAA free wheel to just try and crush each other. Like, um, you know, and I think I, I think there's too many friends on the boards to do that now. 
but I think in the future that will that will change. Um, you know, like the, the different boards will come in and say, we want that market share. You know, like a career is a, a hotbed for the SCIE. You can see SCIA going, well, we'll go get that. And, you know, then as new territories come up, um, you know, up and coming coffee territories, then who's going to go where? And oh, maybe what happens is one of the organisations decides that they're not SCIE or SCIA anymore, but they're just the Specialty Coffee Association and they go and try and take the, the other territories. So. Wouldn't that be such a great move, though, if, if one of the associations decided to just drop their the regional-specific part of their name? So if SAE, for example, just said, OK, we're now the world, or let's say we're just a specialty coffee association. And then if, if a consumer was left going, well, there's a specialty coffee association, or there's a specialty coffee association of America, if they're anywhere but America, the the world one or the the non region specific one would yeah, seem like the no, better option. I, I, I think that's naturally what's going to happen from this. Uh, if if SCIE don't vote to unify, I think one of them will do that, and one of them will just become aggressive in trying to get as much territory as possible. Which would be sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I th- as I was saying like before, I think SCIJ, you know, are a very very powerful organisation on their own, but. The fact that SCIA has shown that it's willing to join together and, and compromise and find that ground, and if SCIA isn't, and I'm not saying that we know that yet, but it's certainly the way it looks, then it would be a natural progression for, in my eyes, for SCIA to then go to SCIAJ because the membership have said we want that consolidation, we want that coming together. Um, and uh, you know, and then if you can get SCIAJ and SCIE to actually become a bigger organisation, then the opportunities are, are huge to, to then go and get those other Asian territories that aren't covered by SCIA really under their title. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see where it goes, I guess. It kind of feels a little bit like Brexit vote, but I'm hoping that perhaps the younger generation are more likely to vote in this scenario than they were in the Brexit scenario. So maybe that carries through. I think the SCIA membership, though, is quite different. You know, that, like the stuff we were talking about in the last one with some of the old chairs and stuff. I think there is a very traditionalist uh, membership, you know, and, and the difference between SCIE and SCIA's membership is that the as a barista, you can be a member, but uh, uh, you can't be a barista and a member of the SCIA. You have to be a, a you know, a, a shop or a, a business Oh, really? Owner. Yes. Yeah. Ah, that's telling. Although, although Ted, Ted Lingle did come out in favour of unification, so that's definitely a heavy weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's pretty big. I didn't, I didn't see that. Um, I, and I'm, I'm surprised at that, and I think that's a good thing. But, I, yeah, I think definitely the makeup and the way that the votes uh, are going to be counted there are different to SCIE, and that's hence why it's so close, I guess. Yeah, no, no, it would definitely be good. I, I think... Um, I would be hopeful of a unification. And I think if it doesn't go through, they'll just find another way. I think they'll just come back and try again. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Do you think this will affect us going to New York for our tamper tantrum if the SCIA doesn't want Europe? Uh, I don't think. I'm definitely going to use it as an opportunity to stir some shit anyway. Um, <laughs> so I think uh, it would be an interesting conversation to have with people over there. And maybe they, they'll, they'll realise that us Europeans aren't, aren't so bad after all. Well, or you, or you British. <laughs> I was going to say, are, are we the best adverts for European uh, harmony and unity? Yeah, probably not. No, no we, we should maybe we should maybe send Hoffman instead. He's far more polite and genial and nice. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah. We, we as an industry. <laughs> <laughs> so have you got much lined up for August? Uh, August is supposed to be quiet for us and it's like, it's looking like it's going to be pretty busy. Like, I don't know what's happening, but we're, um, we're roasting a lot of coffee. The shops are very busy. It's been pretty full on for us lately. So I'm going to try and get away at some stage. September, I have trips to New York. Um, have Me a trip, trip to Berlin for the Berlin Coffee Festival. Ooh. A trip to Italy to go look at grinders. And there's something else I've completely forgotten. I need to fit in a family holiday there somewhere because I'm always forgetting to do that. Is, um, is, is Italy your chosen place to go and look at grinders or do you look at them in various countries? <laughs> well, Italy, Italy is the place where they are made. So we're, when, when, we have inter- when they have stuff that's mildly interesting, they send it to me. When they have stuff that's very interesting, they, they summon me. Oh. So um, it's, uh, I'm excited to see what's in the pipeline. And can um, you tell me what it is when you come back so I can tell everybody and it's not a secret anymore? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah? I could do that. Yeah, definitely. And that's with our podcast sponsor, of course, Simonelli. Yes, Nuova Simonelli and Victoria Arduino. And Victoria Arduino, yes. They get two yeah. sponsorships for the price of one, don't they? Yeah, yeah. they're clever like that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's actually, it, oh, I've had a lot of emails on foot of the WBC as well. So a lot of people just getting back in touch and saying, you know, thanks for looking after us or that was shit, how dare you and stuff like that. And... <laughs> Uh, one of the things that's come up a lot lately, like, which is always really weird because I'd never, like, I don't mind, okay, it's a weird thing, I don't mind being asked, okay, but I would never ask, <laughs> is, uh, what is your staff cost percentage? What is your and, staff cost percentage? Uh, <laughs> so, it's a weird thing because I'm just kind of looking back over no- numbers and stuff, um, for the last while. I'm usually very good at doing this every week and I kind of dropped off for the last 10 weeks or so. And um, we have this really weird thing, okay, where at the cafe, if we have a really good week, like, so if everyone feels good, numbers are good, staff are happy, service is good, no real issues, there's a good steady pace to everything. Like I can, I get it, I'd put my house on, I wouldn't put my house on it. I'd put my house on, um, the staff cost percentage that week being within half a percent of 32%. Wow, okay. That's good, now, isn't it? if we have a week where everybody's really in bad moods, it was really messy, uh, everybody is overworked, everyone feels tired and strained, and like we get one or two emails from people saying, oh, you know, I came in and, and it took ages to get my food or my coffee was took ages or whatever, then it will be less than 31%. All right. Now it's it's very rare to get. Sometimes it goes as low as twenty seven or twenty eight, but that's that's a rare week. That'll happen if somebody comes into the shop and buys like three grinders or something. You know what I mean? Like something that yeah. that jumps it, or maybe sometimes people come in and buy twenty kilos off the shelf just for their office or something. So the staff cost percentage would, would plummet. Uh, but when it's below thirty one, generally there's there's issues. And then the other thing is that when it's higher than thirty three, I can you can tell because like. Orders will go astray because orders always go astray when people don't have enough stuff to do. You know what I mean? Like, like one extra person on bar is is just as dangerous as one too few people on bar. And it's weird because if there's too many people on bar, that's when everybody kind of relaxes too much and service suffers. Orders start to go missing. You know, you walk in, people are sitting on their phones behind the bar or something like that. Like, And it's weird how that number just sits there, okay? So the week of WBC, 
we literally doubled our turnover, okay? Now, for a cafe that, that is considered to be quite busy anyway, we literally doubled our turnover. And when they pulled up the shutters in the morning at 7.30, there was 10 people invariably standing there. And when they closed them in the evening, there was 10 people trying to get in. So that queue was there all day. There was a few interesting things that popped out of this. The service, we were really happy with all week. Everybody was pretty, uh, was busy, but everybody was like, we had enough people on floor. The service was generally good from what we can tell. The drinks were good, everybody's happy. Guess what the staff cost percentage was? Uh, I, I feel like one of those QI moments where I'm going to say it's going to go... Root, root, root. Um, <laughs> it was 32.03%. Oh my God. Isn't that just weird? Because it's not a normal week and we had to get extra... So Jan, who used to work for us, came back and ran the floor for us. And we also had Louise Bannon, who was a friend of ours, who's a chef, working in the kitchen to help the guys out too. And it felt good and it was 32%. And it was crazy. And it's weird how this happens. And I'm not saying that every cafe should do this because I know people that run their cafes at 25% or at 40%. And like the 32%, you could, people say, well, if it goes to 40, you can't make money. But in some cafes, in some scenarios, given their rent or given the, the cost of their product or given the, uh, the margin that they have on the goods that they're selling, they can make money. You know, So I'm very slow to say to people, oh, you can't make money, this, that, and the other. But it's weird how our sweet spot seems to be that and it just kind of it keeps spitting it back out again at us which is really really interesting i get i guess if your staff cost is 50 percent but you're turning over twice as much and your costs are lower then that's a good thing you know like i, I it's just so got to match to the environment that it's in you know yeah. 3fe is a fairly open space doesn't really have any nooks or crannies to go looking for people to make sure they're okay and the service is good you know you, you you're at a point where your staff costs can be a little uh you yeah know, that, that's that's the sweet spot for you but you know if you've got something that has separate rooms it's more spread out it's bigger the bar's harder to work you know there's more demand on retail then then that just changes doesn't it and there is no magic percentage that's, that's what i've kind of learned so far because it's the first thing people speak to you know speak to you about when they know that you've kind of involved in a coffee shop so obviously the three or three thing people have always asked you and like no that's me because i have no idea but since being involved more with drop it's something that's kind of on my radar a lot more um and, and our, our staff costs are kind of quite different to dublin like incredibly different actually because the social costs are just crazy ridiculous different um, um but yeah 32 percent would never ever ever work at drop um but it's just a sweet spot for 3fe it's it's, it's interesting well, like one of the, I had a conversation recently with somebody who was like saying that theirs never goes above 25%. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I was kind of thinking about it. But I bet they don't was, count it the same as you do. I mean, that's the thing as well is how, you, how do you count your staff costs? Well, that, that's the other thing. This, this, I, I've met people who think that their staff cost is completely under control. But you need to have your gross staff cost, which is like all the money that you pay your staff, including all your employer's PRSI or all the government levies, whatever country you're in. Yeah. everything lumped in together and that as a percentage of your net turnover so if if you turn over i don't know 20 grand in a week take away the the tax on it which would bring it out to like 18 grand and that's your number so it's your gross staff cost over your net yeah. turnover and that gives you a real number and that can that can turn 28 into 42 very very quickly it's incredible how, how that that flip happens so this guy anyway that i was talking to was saying that he runs his face at 25 percent uh, and I was like, oh, but this is the thing is, you don't bring coffees to tables. And he's like, no, we don't. I, we, just, we just serve the coffee, call the number, and they've got to come get it themselves. I'm like, all right, that's cool. 
And like I prefer bringing it to the table. I like to do that. And he was like, yeah, but you get to, you charge 350, so you're able to do that. And so we were, I think we charge like 55 cent more than he does for coffee. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. So, and we sell less coffees than him because there's a lot of people that won't pay 350 for coffee. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's, there's always that. Now, if you, if you're charging 350 selling less coffees, or if you're charging 295 selling less coffees and not bringing it to tables, then you've got your matrix wrong. You know what I mean? Like, so you need to balance all of the things and show that you have the right value in the right areas. So it's it's interesting but i don't think there is a magic number for everybody because everybody's conditions are different in coffee like for like for, if you give a like a broad stroke and say for coffee shops it's hard to do it over 40 and it's hard to do it below 25 and to me, most places i encounter are somewhere between 30 and 35 but again everybody's contexts are completely different and it, it uh if you're if you're turning over 100 grand a week you could probably do it for 15 percent because then the smaller percentage that you're making for profit is, is a bigger number. So, but what I would say to people is that is to look at your numbers, make sure you're figuring out the right way, do it every week and then try to figure out where it feels good. And I don't mean where it feels good in terms of like where you're making money. I mean, like in terms of like people talk about speed on coffee bars, speed on coffee bars is not the issue and it's never the issue. The, the issue on coffee bars is tempo. Like where is there a good tempo? Where is it? over and over and over and over again where the staff feel like they're busy but they're not strained and they're not standing around with nothing to do either you know so finding that yeah. that balance is the interesting thing and find trying to find where your sweet point is finally what we want to talk about is um tamper tantrum in new york city which is um something of a personal goal that we've both had for a long time yeah no I, i'm super excited about like i've always wanted to do something in the states just because um, I love the SCAA so much and you know I really hope they become part of SCAE but more that like if I was going to choose anywhere um, New York was definitely at the top of my list because it's the closest to England <laughs> <laughs> well if we can distance is the closest not in, not in its culture or anything like that it's just a very easy flight and it's a super city I, I do love New York if um, we can make it there we can make it anywhere Exactly. It's, it's so good they named it twice, isn't it? It's uh, and other other New York um, cliches like that. Indeed. Are we even allowed to talk about who is talking yet? Well, before we do that, do you think New York are shitting themselves? In what sense? Well, like we booked to go to Paris a couple oh. of days before we turned up. We booked to go to Brussels a couple of days before. Oh we turned Jesus, up. dude, don't! That is terrible. I know. It's just like, I, I feel like bad luck is following us everywhere we go. Oh, um, there's a lot of bad things happening in the world, though. I think it's uh, a lot of people probably have a similar experience. Oh, absolutely horrible. Like the Nice stuff, when, when, I, was, when I, I was in Rwanda and that stuff came through, I've got a, a really good friend who lives, uh, lives in Nice, um, and I knew him and his family would have been at that, and I, was absolutely, I didn't hear from him for like four hours, and it was the worst four hours. Um, thankfully... <laughs> everything was good it was safe like yeah oh but, man um, oh, it's it terrible horrible. it is it's horrible i just i don't know what's happened what's happened to the world i mean it's always been some stuff going on but just recently it's just so indiscriminate and so horrible and yeah yeah not good at all yeah no and there's definitely like there's there's lots of people that are listening to the, the tamper tantrum in in france and in turkey and in all parts of the world that are having the trying times at the moment so it really uh it makes you think a lot you know it's, it's sad it times but 
but yeah, despite all that, um, uh, yeah. I think we should talk about some of the people that we've got lined up because if we talk about them here and call them out, they can't back out, can they? That's a very good way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, if we say that this this list is in pencil, uh, yeah, and there are more to be added to it for sure. Um, this is this is just the beginning of the list, so we have other irons in fires too. Um, but yeah, I, I'll let you go with, with who, who's the one that's excited you the most from from this. Maybe we won't we won't do them all. We'll just choose our somebody who is like one of our favourites on the list at the moment. Okay, so as yet unconfirmed. I probably a name that doesn't mean a lot to many people, but someone who I've never met and and does mean a lot to me is Lupe Andrade. Is that how you pronounce her surname? Andrade. Yeah, yeah Andrade. So Lupe is um, the owner of a coffee farm called uh, Matcha Camarca, which is a coffee farm that's had a very um, sad history. And also it, the coffee that I use for the World Barista Championships in 2009, probably my favorite coffee ever. And has been, yeah, taken from her, given back to her, all sorts of bad stuff has happened over the years. But she's going to travel from Bolivia to speak at, um, at Tamper Tantrum. And I think the other thing with Lupe, that her history, like not just in coffee, just as like just as a, a woman in Bolivia is phenomenal. Like she was the mayor of La Paz for a while. She was thrown in jail by the government because she spoke out against them. Um, like the, the, the backstory, she's written a book on chilies. Um, wow. She's written a book about a time in prison. Um, she's she was on a flight uh, when when we asked her if she would get involved she was on a she just arrived in london to go and watch wimbledon she's now in paris really um, she's she's i mean i think she won't mind me saying that she's not 21 um you know she, she's just nobody's told her <laughs> yeah but nobody's told her so she acts like she is and she just does whatever she wants whenever she wants she's one of the most beautiful people i've ever met and uh, like when when we came up with the idea and i, I think it was a lot with Jen, was the kind of, it, although she's super close to both of us, she's heard us both kind of wax lyrical about, you know, Magica Marker, but also her. And um, I thought, oh, that'd be great that she won't come. And then she was like, I'd love to come. That'd be great. So um, she's going to be immense. I think it's it, like, she, and we've got some ideas of doing a slightly different format than the presentation with it as well, which I'm really excited about. So, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's, it's a, um a great uh, list so far. So Colleen Anunu is also uh, billed to speak at the moment. Um, and she did a, a great presentation for Rico that I was watching online and has got um, some really interesting uh, things to talk about. So I'm, I'm really excited to see her too. Shall I tell you who, 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 like, it's an elephant in a room, elephant in the room for me, that he's never spoken at a Tampa Tantrum before. And, um, like, I'm, I, I, he knows I'm a groupie. I'm like properly in love with the man, but like Nick Cho has said that he, he he's in. I don't know what form he's in. I don't know what he's going to be doing, um, but he's in, and I think he would just be amazing. Like, who doesn't love Nick and hate him at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick is definitely chief button pusher, um, and uh, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to hearing Nick speak, and I hope. I hope he does a presentation, but I hope he does some other stuff as well because he's kind of like a, a co-conspirator here for us as yeah. well. So we'll see what else yeah. we can drag him into doing. Definitely yeah, some no, panel discussions. He'd be very good at. Because I think I think the great thing about New York is like we've all got lots of ideas about how we can mix it up a little bit, and I think with the with the sudden rush of speaking events, um, 
you know, I mean, we invented them, of course. Um, yeah. But I think uh, it's time for us to try and kind of try and do something a bit fresh. Uh, and then that's what we've always done. I, I, I like to think anyway, with the Tampa Tantrum stuff is like, we've always pushed it to a different place. Um, and I think it's time for us to do some pushing again. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm very much looking forward to it. So I think, uh, we're, uh, I think we should drip out the names bit by bit. And, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I think that's enough for now. Uh, I think we'll definitely, uh, definitely add some more, but we should maybe give a link to tickets. Um, tickets can be bought from www.tampatantrum.com forward slash NYC 2016. That's easy. Or, oh, this one's really difficult though. www.ttlnyc2016.eventbrite.com. It's a little harder to, to get your head around. I'm sure post. there'll be a link in the show notes below though, so we'll be okay. You can just click the link below. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's essentially an acronym for Tantra Tantrum Live New York City. 2016. Yeah, that's right. Dot .com. Yeah. Cool. And we'll tweet them and put them on the Facebook and all oh, the other stuff. Oh, we'll up. be tweeting the shit out of that. Awesome. Um, also, we've got uh, Roasters Guild of Europe coming up. In Estonia. In Estonia. Home of the Estonians. You won't be making it. No. Nope. So you'll be having. They'll be having the uh, the pleasure of my company. Um, and a special uh, a special guest. Um, Suppose he's host. Yeah, yeah. So Special that guest host. That'll be that'll be an to later today because I've got to talk to Jen about it. We've talked about it, but um, yeah, me and Jen haven't talked about it, so I better ask her permission first. Because um, as we found out in the uh, in last the last podcast, um, Jen has final say on everything, including what I even say. Yes, that's very true. And also, Cup North, we'll be doing Tamper Tantrum, and with the possibility of a brand new competition to replace the competition we're not allowed to talk about anymore. What, the, the competition no, 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 shall no. not be named? Yes, that's, that's the one that the has no Voldemort name. The coffee competitions. A competition has no name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Cup North is, I mean, because I think we do have a lot of international listeners that maybe not know what Cup North is, but for me, it's one of the coolest coffee events, because it's run by two people that are super passionate about coffee both working within the industry and don't really make money from it they just do it because they really want this event to happen in the north of the, the north of england and um like we've been involved for two years now and um actually since its inception you did the first one we did the second one um and it, i like i love being involved with cup north i think it's just a fantastic uh, a fantastic venues and fantastic kind of show and just be really friendly and kind of small so not small enough so there's not enough to do but not so big that you get lost in it you can kind of see friends as you walk around and you might see them again later in the day um, which is a good thing yep very much looking forward to that yeah cool um i think we've done aren't we yeah let's wrap it up there i think um it's good to talk to you again i'm glad you're back from rwanda and yeah We'll uh, we look forward to announcing more dates or more speakers in the coming days, and uh, yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah, but New York is going to be killer. Hopefully, talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.